Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, July 17th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, we put out a lot of podcasts over the weekend. Uh, the first one I put out on Saturday was the newest episode of Tell Me More. I talked to Matt Doyle, who a lot of people know is this great musical theater guy, did uh, the Book of Mormon on Broadway, also did uh, Spring Awakening and, and, and Bye Bye Birdie. He's off Broadway with Sweeney Todd right now playing Anthony. But the thing that I mostly talked to him about was his webcomic Dense, D-E-N-T-S, that he wrote with his sitcom star best friend Beth Bears from Two Broke Girls. And she also did a funny thing happened on the to the on the gynecological oncology, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, so it was a really cool conversation. I really enjoyed it. You know, I'm a comic book geek and Dense is really, really good. It's on this online uh, website called um, uh, called Webtoons that's huge over in Korea and it's a really, really cool story. It's kind of a post-apocalyptic superhero sci-fi fantasy thing. It's really, really good. Um, we also talked a little bit about Sweeney Todd, so uh, check that out. That is in your feed. Then over on my other show, Some Like It Pop, my uh, co-host and I, Jennifer McHugh, talked about four of the biggest movies, either biggest in terms of box office or biggest in terms of critical response um, from this summer, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, Homecoming, Baby Driver, and The Big Sick. Um, so if you're interested in any of those, check that out. And then James you had a really good episode this week on Broadway that came out yesterday morning. You interviewed Joshua Ellis, talked about assassins. Uh, you and Peter gave rave reviews for Pipeline over at uh, Lincoln Center. Um, tell a little bit of people about who Josh Ellis is and anything else that you guys talked about. So uh, Josh Ellis is a longtime friend of the pod. Uh, and you like that? You like that? Yeah. Throw that in there. Well done. Okay. Stealing it from Crooked Media, yeah. <laughs> if you're going to steal it from anybody, steal it from Crooked. Absolutely. Uh, so Josh is a longtime friend of the pod, and uh, he uh, has had quite a career doing many different roles, but one of he's best probably known for his role as a publicist uh, for many, many shows that we have known and loved uh and we talked to him about his experiences there and he's got his one-man show coming up at the uh, solo festival in september and uh, we cool. wanted to get ahead of the curve there and uh talk to josh he's a very interesting guy um and uh so check out the episode yeah awesome so matt i i have a question for you oh okay are you and i dense no we are not. Uh, <laughs> dense, dense refers to in this post-apocalyptic world uh, identical twins who are born um, after getting this vaccination. Do blah 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 yada yada yada. But anyway, when they start getting into their teenage years, they develop superpowers. Uh, dense are then um, subject to a genocide because the new rulers of the reformed society is afraid of them, and then they have to go on the run. You know, fill in the blanks there. So you and I not identical twins um, even though sometimes our thought patterns overlap like they are <laughs> I really enjoyed the uh, tell me more the sep second episode uh, with Matt and Matt uh, Matt's bird <laughs> and uh, people get over and take a listen to it it's a lot, it was Thanks. very interesting alright first up Broadway bids farewell to the best play Oslo 
Yeah, yesterday, this year's Tony winner for Best Play, Oslo, played its final performance at Lincoln Center's Vivian Beaumont Theater, the show which chronicles the negotiations behind the 1993 Oslo peace accords between Israel and Palestine, began off-Broadway before moving upstairs over at Lincoln Center. In addition to the win for Best Play, the show was also nominated for six other prizes, and Michael Aronov took home the trophy for Best Performance by an actor in a featured role in a play. The show was headlined by previous Tony winners Jefferson Mays and Jennifer Ely. James, you saw the show both on and off-Broadway, and you particularly enjoyed it off-Broadway. You had a few reservations about the move upstairs, uh, but you still really enjoyed it. It is heading to London later later this season. So I'm interested, now that you've seen it twice in two different venues, what would you predict the prospects for this show moving forward would be? Is it one that we'll see picked up at a lot of regional theaters specifically i'm thinking more professional regional theaters as opposed to community theaters or do you think it's maybe perhaps more suited for a film adaptation what do you think i think that it's it's totally geared up for a film adaptation and i think as you mentioned i think every major regional theater is going to do oslo because it 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 plays well to casting that um major major regional theaters don't get a chance to cast quote unquote adults you know very often uh <laughs> and i think that um most people are going to want to take this on uh and i think that it it's well suited for a film release as well uh cool. certainly not a big commercial release it's going to be an art house film it's going to go to you know the the festivals it's not going to be a tentpole yeah. for any of the uh the major people in it, you know, Keanu Reeves in Oslo. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, you know, I mean, I will say we've seen a lot more, I think, um, stage properties ad- adapted to films over the last decade or so, whether it is in big ways uh, or small ways. We saw August Osage County with a huge who's who cast. We also saw Frost Nixon adapted. There's a lot of little things. Um, uh, uh, um, oh, what's the one? Blackbird is getting adapted into a film with Rooney Mara called Una. Um, so there's a lot of things that are being adapted more these days beyond just the traditional big Broadway musicals. So, uh, you know, this one has a great story that I think would appeal to a lot of people. So I hope you're right. And I hope we do see a, a film adaptation as well. All right, so uh, let's move on to the next thing, which is uh, theatrical highlights of the Disney's D23 convention. Yeah, James, over the weekend, Disney had its annual D23 convention in which the Mouse House gave its most diehard fans a look at what was coming down the pike in all aspects of the behemoth business. For theater fans, there were a number of highlights. James, I'm going to go through these. Stop me if you want to discuss any of them in particular. First, John Favreau, not from no, different John Favreau. <laughs> happy uh, <laughs> uh, happy from uh, the Iron Man series and, and many, many more. But the other John Favreau uh, showed a video of his Lion King live action adaptation. It was specifically uh, The Circle of Life. Reports are that it was amazing and they take all your phones away so that nothing has leaked out from uh, d23 yet but disney usually doles those things out in the days and weeks after d23 so keep an eye on that i've heard it might be dropping tonight but i don't know if that's true or not also the rumor going around the convention is that hugh jackman would be voicing the film's villain scar and that was further inflamed when he posted a picture of himself at disneyland in front of the walt disney and mickey mouse statue entitled it partners so we'll see what happens with that 
Also of note, Emily Blunt was on hand to introduce the first teaser for Mary Poppins Returns. It was short, but it's pretty cool, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes at broaderradio.com. And James, despite the rumors of difficulty casting the leads that we talked about last week with Danny Duraney, Disney also announced the stars of their upcoming live-action adaptation of Aladdin. The film will introduce Mina Masood, a Canadian actor of Egyptian descent, as Aladdin. Princess Jasmine will be Naomi Scott, a British actress of Indian and Ugandan heritage. Most recently, she was seen as the Pink Ranger in the Power Rangers film that came out earlier this year. And as rumored, Will Smith, um, he's a fresh prince, but not a prince like Aladdin. Uh, He will be playing the genie. Uh, Disney also announced that they are going to build or reconstruct a new theater on Main Street at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom here in Central Florida. It will be specifically used for a musical. They didn't say what musical, but if I had to guess, James, I think we might be seeing some Newsies action there on Main Street. That seems like the perfect place for that show to go in. Uh, And with another obvious theater connection, Broadway alums Josh Gad and Kristen Bell were on hand to discuss Frozen 2 and the short film Olaf's Frozen Adventure. There's a bunch of other superhero and Star Wars stuff announced too, James, but not a bad couple of days for the Disney theater Venn diagram fans. I wanted to mention the Emily Blunt and Mary Poppins uh, mm-hmm. trailer that was released. Uh, Mark Shaman posted on uh, Facebook and Twitter uh, that he was uh, conducting the orchestra at this presentation. And uh, oh, cool. he, he uh, got a little bit choked up about it. He said it, it's beautiful and he really, really thinks it's going to be uh, enormous. Uh, and a D23, what, what is D23 and what is the significance of 23? Um, you know, I don't know. I used to know. Um, maybe we can do a quick Google, but, um, it's just the convention that every year Disney, uh, has in California where they release everything, trailers, their cast, the, the calendar for things. They also talked about all the new rides um, that are going into the different places. There's going to be a new star Wars themed hotel here in, uh, in, in Disney world that you go in. It sounds kind of like Westworld. That's what all the jokes have been, or you get to put on a, a, a star Wars costume and there's a story in the hotel itself. I don't remember what D 23 specifically oh, stands I for. It. I got okay. It. Tell me D 23 is the official Disney fan fan club um d is for disney 23 is for 1923 the the year walt disney founded the company of course i should have known (sighs) turn in your orlando badge i don't go to the parks because (laughs) i hate people (laughs) all right so let's move forward into the next thing uh disney is transforming frozen into an all-new musical oh this is new news yeah, well, yeah, kind of is. Um, no, not that it's turning it into a musical. It's that it's kind of becoming its own property separate from the film. Um, sticking with that Disney and Frozen theme, on Saturday, Playbill's Adam Hetrick ha- posted a Q&A with Disney Theatrical Group President Thomas Schumacher about the fr- film's transition to the stage. And even though it was a fairly short article, there were two things, James, that – Uh, Schumacher vaguely touched upon that I thought were really interesting. And one of them was this concept that when you look at the film, um, this was brought up by the original um, screenwriter and now the book writer, Jennifer Lee. If you look at it, Princess Anna is living in a fairy tale tale world. Her story and the way she looks at life is very much like a traditional fairy tale. However, 
Queen Elsa is living in a world that's more based in like mythology and fantasy. And Schumacher said, uh, quote, these two things have to crash together at the end. So it's interesting that they're not only just kind of looking at taking the story in a new direction, they're really analyzing what the story is to figure out how they're going to proceed forward. He also discussed trying to figure out the circumstances of Elsa's power, giving more of a, a backstory and an origin to all of those things. Where did the power come from? Who are the creatures that they go to for healing? They were rock trolls in the film. I've uh, kind of interested to see how they make that adaptation to the stage. I guess we'll see that here next month in in Denver. So, James, based on that and some of Schumacher's comments um, about director Michael Grandage's approach, it seems like we're going to get a more fleshed out version of Frozen, which we kind of knew already because um, Robert and Kristen Anderson Lopez, Lopez have talked about adding a lot more songs to the uh, to the stage adaptation. But it looks like the storytelling is going to be a lot more nuanced than what we saw on film. And I'm really hoping that Grandage and his team give us something more closely aligned with Julie Taymor's approach to The Lion King than what we've seen from The Little Mermaid and, and Aladdin, which are more kind of the um, more direct adaptations from screen to stage. So I'm hoping that's what we get. And I'm cautiously optimistic that based on Thomas Schumacher's responses in this Q&A, that that's where we're going. All right. So uh, next up, this week's theatrical schedule. What's coming up? All right, James, a lot of either beginning of previews or one night only events tonight um, over at Symphony Space will be the Super Shaw women that will star Jane Howdy Shell, Sandra Lee, Daphne Rubin Vega and more. That's a cool one night only event. So get over there. Then on Tuesday, previews begin over at the West Side Theater for the new off-Broadway musical, The Curvy Widow. This is the show that Nancy Opal is doing instead of doing Prince of Bro- uh, Prince of Broadway on Broadway for Manhattan Theater Club, so that should be interesting. You uh, had some not too nice reviews for this show when it appeared somewhere else before announcing its Broadway transfer on this week on Broadway. So fingers crossed for the great Nancy Opal. Then in movie theaters on uh, on Thursday the twentieth is the first part of NT Live's broadcast of Angels in America. That's obviously Millennium Approaches. Perestroika will be the following Thursday, so get your tickets for that. Then on Friday the twenty first performances begin down at the Muni in St. Louis for the unsinkable Molly Brown, which may or may not be heading to Broadway eventually with star Beth Malone. There's a really cool article in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch called Unsinkable Molly Brown. Her truth is better than fiction. That kind of looks at the true story behind Molly Brown. We'll have that in the show notes if you want to check it out. And then on Sunday, the 23rd, another one night only event is this much ballyhooed Hollywood Bowl concert presentation of Sondheim on Sondheim that we've talked about with Jonathan Groff and Vanessa Williams and and uh, Ruthie Ann Miles and Jesse Tyler Ferguson and all these great people. So I last I checked, there were still some tickets available at that gargantuan outdoor theater in Hollywood. So if you want to go take a look, you might be able to still get in. <laughs> and uh, we should talk about the good news that Falsettos can't get a ticket to it. So it's expanding its uh, footprint. <laughs> Yeah, following multiple sold-out screenings across the country on Friday, Screen Vision Media announced that it would be adding new theaters and showings nationwide over the next week or so. James, we will have a link to where people can find out where and when the film is playing near them. But I I don't know if Falsettos' box office is going to rival that of Newsies where it gets multiple extensions and breaks all these records. But I'm really – excited that more people are going to get to see it, and I'm really proud of the theatrical community – 
for supporting this show that doesn't have kind of the big name recognition or, you know, the big tentpole movie crossover like Newsies does. So I'm really glad that this is getting some love outside of just New York. Yeah, this is uh, uh, very exciting that uh, Falsettos, which... Uh, had such a short run on Broadway. I, I don't really mm-hmm. remember um, how the box office did uh, so much in this current their revival that just passed. But uh, it seemed like it could have run a little bit longer. And I'm glad that the movie is sure. out there and they're going to have a lot more people get a chance to see this. I was a big fan of the staging uh, of the imaginative staging that was used in the revival of falsettos and i'm looking forward to having a lot of feedback from other folks who haven't seen it yet to um see if i'm crazy or not because i really liked it (laughs) yeah and this is going to be the same uh version of the film production that's going to be airing on pbs later this year so whether they see it in the theaters or on tv in a few months um uh, falsettos is definitely going to be reaching a wider audience than it did on broadway this past year All right, next up, Andrew Lloyd Webber pens an autobiography. When does he have enough time to write an autobiography? Uh, Well, when he's counting the billions of dollars in the bank, diving in like Scrooge McDuck. Uh, But yes, on Friday, the UK's The Stage reported that the Right Honorable Lord Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber is penning his memoir, and it will be released in March of next year. The book, entitled Unmasked, I assume a fan of the opera pun. ALW will talk about his family family life and his five-decade career. James, the article has a bunch of nice quotes about how great this book is going to be, and there's going to be full-color photos, yada, yada, yada. I don't care about any of that. Just give me the chapter on replacing Patti Lapone in Sunset Boulevard. That's all I care about. I will skip straight to it when I get the book. I'll go back and read everything else, but I want to know the dish with Lapone. <laughs> That is true. I hadn't thought about that part. I wonder if it'll be in the book. Oh, uh, if it's not, I'm burning it out of protest. <laughs> oh, it is very 1984 of you. <laughs> I'll send I'll send the picture to Imogen and let her know that I was unhappy with her father's writing work and not including that because that's I want to read that and then go back and read the chapter from Lapone's uh, auto or memoir as well to kind of see how those match up. <sighs> That's true. Okay. uh, Next up, Los Angeles Times talks about diversity and casting. Yeah, James. Last week, the L.A. Times Entertainment reporter Jessica Gelt wrote a really uh, thoughtful and balanced article about authenticity and representation and casting both uh, on Broadway and on screen. James, this is a topic that you and I have discussed a lot on this show and one that I'm very fascinated about so much, uh, so much so that it will be the focus of a future episode of Tell Me More. Uh, But what was really most interesting about Gelt's article to me is that she compassionately laid out the case for providing traditionally marginalized performers opportunities to play roles that weren't specifically written for their demographic, while also being careful not to dismiss the concerns of those that felt maybe they're by doing this, it's not being true to the original intention of the authors or that shows like Hamilton uh, might be doing the same thing in reverse and taking away opportunities from people as well. Um, she does a really good job of laying those out with not without really commenting on them and kind of letting uh, the people she talks to make their their comments known. She then goes on to discuss the evolution from colorblind casting, which is basically casting an actor or actress of color with no intention of it impacting the narrative, to color conscious casting, where 
the casting of a person of, of color in a role generally played by a white person intentionally adds a new layer of context to the show. That was the intention of the production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf up in Portland that got so much uh, airtime and, and public media or uh, uh, social media publicity that we discussed in in, in at length earlier this year. Uh, James, this is a topic that I don't think we're going to it's not going to be going away. We're going to hear more and more about it as more theaters, directors, casting directors and producers look for ways to cast roles outside the box, either for artistic purposes or for publicity purposes, if I'm being completely cynical. Um, so I think that we're going to be talking about this a lot moving forward. Yeah, it's a very interesting article. Um, and I have to, you know, I find myself every time I read a different point of view saying, hey, they have a point. And then I read something <laughs> totally on the other side and I was like, hey, they have a point. Uh, but I come back to a discussion that I had with uh, Peter Felicia and Michael Portant here on This Week on Broadway a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, my point then was like um, this was about the Virginia Woolf thing. Uh, you know, Virginia Woolf is a play that's been done hundreds if not thousands of times um what would it have harmed uh to let this uh gentleman go on in virginia wolf even though he was not uh directly matching the breakdown that's in the script you know could, could we have found another another layer uh, in the text by letting somebody else do this role. I think that we could have, and, and I don't, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know why it's, it was made into such a big deal, but, um, but I, it's a complex, it's a complex, yeah. complex issue. Yeah. And the one that's really on the horizon for me, that's really interesting. And one that is burning up social media and message boards is the upcoming, um, revival of my fair lady directed by Bartlett Shear. You know, I, I'm on record for, I want Laura Benanti in every role, specifically this one, because it's her like dream role. And she stated that publicly, but if we're not getting Benanti and it doesn't look like we are, I really hope they, they do cast it with some non-traditional casting. Someone like Ashley Park um, or even Obelzada, if she can sing it. I don't know if she's a soprano or not. Or Danae Benton or somebody along those lines that normally wouldn't get the chance to play this role. Now, we know that England has often been diverse. Um, but specifically, I think by casting that role with somebody of color, it does bring in more of the actual Shaw text about class and, and, and social standing. And with the British empire covering, you know, like they said, the the sun never sets on the British empire, having somebody of, of a non Caucasian background, isn't that far off from what is actually there in the original Pygmalion script. So uh, that's one that if it's not Benanti, I really hope that Bart and, and Lincoln Center decide to go outside the box with that. I don't know if they will. I don't know when we're going to get that casting. I am. It's killing me, James. That <laughs> mean girls give me the dang casts already. Um, but I hope they do decide to take that in a direction that hasn't been done normally with such a big production. All right, so there is where we shall wrap up. So why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Reno from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Matt says that we're not twinsies, we're not dense, but I'll still be here with him tomorrow. 
Thanks for spending some of your Monday with us, and uh, we'll be back and talk with you tomorrow. 